Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. And we are recording. So welcome back to the podcast. It is, of course, me, Angelina Kelly, alongside Lewis Ambrose. Thanks for joining me again, Lewis. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. And this week, we have the founder of Her Football Hub, Drew Diamond. Welcome, Drew. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. I must say, Drew Diamond is a brilliant name. <laughs> Thank you. I get it a lot when, you know, when you check, well, back in the day when we could check in hotels and stuff, people are always like, is this a pseudonym? <laughs> are you someone famous? <laughs> Sadly not. Aww. It does sound like an undercover name a little bit. <laughs> a good one, but undercover. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, apart from really interesting names, we also are going to talk about some of the women's football. Um, there was a lot of drama in the Women's Super League. Of course, um, at the point of filming, the midweek games haven't taken place. So we're going to have a look at some of the games that happened at the weekend. And there was a lot of drama. Um, there was a shock defeat for leaders Chelsea as Brighton ended their 33-game unbeaten league run. I kind of feel responsible for this because, Lewis, I feel like last week we were saying, do you think that they'll be able to carry on this unbeaten run? Um, and then it's kind of gone downhill. So sorry, Chelsea. Um, Manchester United then missed out on a chance to go top as they lost to Reading. And then, of course, Manchester City, they celebrated a win against Arsenal. Now, City looked pretty strong. Drew, what did you make of their performance? Do you think it was just like the perfect win ahead of that Manchester derby on Friday? Absolutely. That's exactly the kind of performance they needed to put in. Um it's, it's been a really good turn of events for Gareth Taylor recently. Obviously, he's already got the FA Cup win under his belt. Um, and now they're hitting a really strong run of form. Um, he should be really happy, especially with bringing people like Dahl Kemper into the club. He's really strengthened in the areas he needed to. And I think they'll be looking at that derby now and thinking, this is ours for the taking. We, we can really have this, especially after you've just said that Reading surprised Man United. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, you mentioned Gareth Taylor there and you mentioned the trophy that he's already got. So far, so good, really. Um, Lewis, how do you think he's doing at City so far? Yeah, like you said, so far, so good. They've, they've, got the, they've won the FA Cup, they beat Everton in the final and played really well that day. I think... The beginning of the season was a little bit stuttery and I think a lot of teams had this, not just in England but everywhere, with you know the, the strange scenario in women's football where seasons didn't restart last season and it meant that when seasons did restart in the summer they'd not played for sort of six, seven months some teams. So City came into that situation with a new manager as well. They added Chloe Kelly already but then they went and added Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle Lucy Bronze returned and I think it was it's maybe a good thing for a new manager to be able to come in and there's so many new players there and you can change things I think it can also be tricky as well because players just aren't used to each other and when you're trying to implement something new or get them to play your style of football you don't have anything to fall back on if players aren't already familiar with each other so I think that that maybe contributed to City starting a little bit slowly, but right now they look as good as anybody. Yeah, definitely they do. Um, and looking at some of the names in that squad, you know, Alex Greenwood, Lucy Bronze, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Ellen White, etc. I could go on. Drew, what, if anything, do you think this side 
is lacking or are you confident that this team is now ready to be competing not just in the league but perhaps you know in Europe too? I think the only thing they're lacking is consistency now but I think that will come with time. Um, Gareth is a new manager as, as we've just spoke about and with that comes changes in in tactics, training and, and team cohesion and that's something they're starting to show now with these bigger results. And the Manchester Derby will be their biggest test of it. If they can come through that game against a Manchester United team who are possibly one of the best teams in the world in women's football, then they can really show that they can compete in Europe. They just need to make sure that they're within those places come the end of the season and, and they can really go and push for that. Yeah, I mean, it upsets me to admit that. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that consistency. I think this derby at the weekend is going to be, like you say, a massive, massive game for them. Um, and we'll maybe decide, you know, how the rest of their season goes or how United's go. Um, now, Arsenal are going to be playing Chelsea this evening. Um, now, Arsenal have not had it easy. They've had issues with COVID, frozen and waterlogged pitches. They've only really played like once since the 20th of December. Numerous big injury issues, um, you know, like Kim Little, Jen Beatty, um, Vicky Schneiderbeck. Um, and this has actually apparently led to some kind of internal reviews into training practices. They've not had it easy. Um, but despite the injuries, Arsenal did field a strong starting eleven. The bench didn't look great regarding attacking options. Um, but all things considered, they're still in fourth in the league. And as their manager said, you cannot rule them out yet. Um, there's still a lot of twists and turns in this league, which I completely agree with. Um, so, Lewis, you know, as an Arsenal fan, do you think that considering everything that's been going on, despite the loss, does this just prove how resilient Arsenal have been in some ways and that they can still be dreaming of a Champions League spot? I I think that the team can still aim for and hope for Champions League. I think that that will change or could change, sorry, in the next week or so. They've got Chelsea this evening and Manchester United just around the corner as well. So I think, you know, saying that they can still qualify for the Champions League now is that could definitely change a, a week from now. Whether or not they can get players fit and keep players fit, as you said, it, it's, there's been an internal review at the club into fitness there's been so many soft tissue injuries and it's not the first year it's sort of the third season in a row where that's happening a lot of people have pointed to if the squad's too small and I don't think that's really the case I think there's even with all those injuries you mentioned there's still that 11 that played against Man City at the weekend there's so much talent at Arsenal the problem and I think sort of the reason for not being so optimistic is that there's just a pattern here since Arsenal won the league a couple of years ago it's now five or six games since they beat either Chelsea or City uh, mm. in the league that is they've lost to them in the Cups in that time as well they lost to Chelsea twice last season they drew with Manchester United this season it's those results when these three four teams at the top of the table are so strong it's those results against each other that is always in the WSL the way that the league is at the moment going to decide where the title goes or who qualifies for the Champions League and if this was a close game and City edged it and Arsenal didn't have that sort of record from the past two years in these matches against them as well then I would say yeah you know there's plenty to cling on to but I think City really quite convincingly deserved to win except for the sort of 20-25 minutes in the second half I thought they were overwhelmingly the better side and it's just been a pattern in these big games for Arsenal that I think ultimately 
the club and the fans we're going to be talking about if Joman tomorrow stays at the end of the season as well. Now, with Arsenal, we have seen a lot of defensive transfers. Most recently, Anna Patton coming in from South Carolina. Drew, were you expecting more signings in the transfer window or maybe a different kind of signing? Absolutely, you know, and I think more importantly than that, the Arsenal fan base was expecting different signings and more signings. Um, I've, I've spoke to Joe a couple of times on this when, when I've been in press conferences with him. The most interesting time was in the Conti Cup final afterwards and when he'd lost. Um, I posed the question to him, does he, do, does he think that his small squad size has affected you know, his run of form and that cup loss? And he basically answered me one sentence. That's my way. If it kills me, it kills me. So he's a, yeah. So he's a man who likes a small squad, and I do think with the injury crisis they're having, and and as you've both mentioned, this internal investigation into why they're having so many injuries, it's a match made in hell at the moment because a small squad, when you're faced with these several injuries repeatedly, and there's no real reason for them, it's just through training. It's ju- it's just a bad recipe and. I think they really should have brought in more players than people usually do in this window and just really bulk up that squad. Even if the quality wasn't exactly what they were looking for, they really do need numbers. And they're going to end up heavily relying on academy players to get them through games. And for me, Patton is a fantastic player. She's on the brink of of senior England call-up. She's been in training camps before. But I don't think she's the kind of calibre of player that they, they maybe should have brought in in that position. Um, and yeah, I do think the Arsenal fan base are a little bit disappointed with, with the business they did. I mean, one rumour that has been flying around that I was sent is about Leah Williamson. Um, the 23-year-old is Arsenal through and through. She's actually said on record that she would not play for another Women's Super League team. But the likes of Leon, PSG and Wolfsburg are all reportedly interested in her. Now, her current deal expires in the summer. The manager has said that he's quietly confident that she will sign a new contract alongside Jill Rudd, whose deal also expires in the summer. Lewis, are you worried? Are you feeling confident that they'll both sign on the dotted line? I think like, I think to say that Leo Williamson's Arsenal through and through is even an understatement, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think you always worry when important players are, are close to to being out of contract and the future isn't settled and Lee Williamson is one of Arsenal's most important players no doubt about it she's absolutely crucial in in all aspects of play she's brilliant with the ball but she's also an excellent defender um she captained the team at the weekend you know she's integral to to Arsenal as a as a football club not just to Joe Montemurro and the way his team plays but to Arsenal and and one of those figures that fans can like identify with I wonder if this upcoming international break can help convince her to sign a deal I do wonder if if there was any possibility of her leaving it's tied to the fact that she's been fantastic for Arsenal for a few years now but not really had the chance to nail a starting spot for England Mm. and if she was given that opportunity to start a couple of games in the international break maybe that would be a sign that now that Phil Neville's left things could be changing there and Maybe that's the thing that, that she needs to, to stay at Arsenal. I don't know. I, I'm speculating completely. I think as well the team not qualifying for the Champions League is obviously would be a massive blow and top players want to play in the top con- competitions. There's uh, Euros on home soil around the corner. I think every England player will want to be playing at that and every England player will want to be playing at the highest level for their clubs to prove that they should be playing at the Euros and starting at the Euros and having a key role in the England squad. So 
I I find it hard to imagine Leo Williamson not playing for Arsenal, but at the same time, I think, you know, when the future is up in the air like it is at the moment, you have to be a little bit worried. I mean, she could end up doing something like a Lucy Bronze in that she goes to, you know, Leon or PSG or wherever for a couple of seasons and then returns to Arsenal, who knows? But obviously, as I said at the time of us recording, um, that the Chelsea-Arsenal game has not taken place yet. I'm sure by the time you guys are all listening, it probably will have happened or be about to happen. What are you guys thinking about this game? I mean, Drew, her football hub, you guys have got your ears firmly to the ground. Can you give us any kind of, uh, got any insider info or any thoughts on the game? Yeah, so it's an exciting prospect, isn't it? I mean, Arsenal really need to pull something out of the bag here to kind of be still in that contention of, you know, a big four. Everton are kind of just lingering behind them. And Chelsea have just had the biggest shock of their lives. So, I mean, it's all on the line, really. Both teams have a lot to prove. Um, And I've spoke to Emma Hayes quite a few times during my journalistic career, and she is a terrifying woman when she has a point to prove. (laughs) Um, And I would not want to be one of those players expecting a result from Emma Hayes because she is going to have fire in her belly for this whole fixture and if one player puts a single foot wrong you will hear her from the touchlines. Chelsea will attack this game differently than any game they've attacked over the last two years I expect because they really need to prove that last week was a blip and not a drop in form Um, and Arsenal are primed for the picking at the moment. They're not in the form that we've expected Arsenal over the last few years and I really do think it will be an exciting fixture. Lewis, are you scared? Yeah, like I said, especially when you think about Arsenal's record in these big games. I actually think Arsenal, when they played against Chelsea earlier this season, were really unlucky not to win and it's the best they've played against Chelsea or City for a couple of years but yeah the, the, the sort of the season's a little bit on the line now and I think you wounded Chelsea is probably the last opponent you'd want to face. Well, here's hoping for you, Lewis, that you guys pull something out of the bag. Here's hoping for Emma Hayes' team that they manage to pull something out of the bag. Otherwise, it might be World War III. Um, switching over to France now, Leon managed to keep up with PSG, who had another 5-0 victory, by the way. Um, but Leon faced Montpellier in a 2-1 game, which had two early goals, and it was Mon- it was a Montpellier own goal from Elisa de Almedia in the 40th minute that secured the win. Drew, for me, this was nowhere near as exciting as I was expecting. Um, what did you make of this game? I think... It's, it was to be expected of Leon to some extent. I mean, this is not the kind of season they're used to. They've already picked up a loss in the league, which is not like Leon at all. Um, and they're sitting behind Paris at the minute. And I think Montpellier and Bordeaux are the two teams that kind of push this boundary between best of the rest and the top two. And it was always going to be Montpellier that give them a tough game. And yeah, for it to be won by an own goal, I think the Leon camp, similar to Chelsea, as we've just spoke about, really do have something to prove in their next few fixtures that they're, they're still this superpower in world football. And, you know, a, a 2-1 win over Montpellier is not the way to prove that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I mean, with PSG scoring so many goals, Leon themselves have found the back of the net um, and had some big wins themselves. But... You know, especially some of those points that you mentioned there, Drew. Um, Lewis, do you still worry for them this season? Uh, yeah, I think that's the right way of putting it. I don't worry about Leon so much as I worry for Leon. Um, 
I think it's more it's more to do with PSG and that gap has closed over the past few years. They've been closer and closer to Lyon the last few seasons. It's you know last year they were breathing down their necks when the season was prematurely ended, and now we're seeing a PSG team that looks capable of just going out there and blowing opposition away every single game. So. Uh, yeah, I think I think this is more to do with PSG's improvement and their strength than with Leon being much worse than than they have been in the previous few years, and it's just a bit of a perfect storm. I mean, Marie Antoinette Katoto has been brilliant the last few seasons already. She's still only twenty. PSG have in midfield Sarah uh, Debrets, who was injured for so much of last season, but is fully fit again now, and it's very very difficult to see them dropping any points. I think they've they score so many goals but I think they conceded one or two in the entire season so far if you know you can't even say that they're they're sacrificing any sort of defensive solidity to be so dangerous going forward so if Lyon can't do the business and beat PSG themselves then you start to think that it's unlikely they're going to drop any points anywhere yeah um now, also in the game, I noticed that Leon went with Buchanan and Kamadjai. Again, apologies, as we all know, I'm not great with my pronunciation. Went with those two as the centre-backs. Normally, Reynard is in the mix too. In addition, there are other defenders. Again, apologies, but um, we had Griege Mabok. I would say Bathy, Bathy, my apologies. She has extended her contract until 2024. Um, so, Drew... Who do you see being the future centre-back pairing? And can you see uh, Bailey making a name for herself, perhaps in that position? Absolutely. And I've got a slightly controversial answer to this, but it is relevant. So bear with me. But Wendy Renard's 30 now. So Leon having to enter that stage of planning. They're having to plan ahead of who is going to be that rock from now on. And there's obviously been rumours throughout the last year that Renard might actually take the step away from the French leagues. And I think Bathy is 25 now. She's established herself. She's won just about everything in her career. Yes, that's been where she is, but it's still relevant. She's been a part of that. And I do think she can be a leading centre-back in that team. Um, but you never know. You could end up seeing Leah Williamson in a Leon kit. Oh, controversial. Lewis, are you okay? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, also in the game, we saw um, Katarina Macario, who made her debut for Leon after signing with the club. She's got quite a story, you know, from having to play with boys teams in Brazil, making a move to the US without even having a strong command of the English language. Now she's at Leon. Um, Brilliant story, brilliant player. Lewis, what are you expecting from her? Uh, Goals and assists and everything that everybody loves about watching talented attacking players you know I think she's she's left college now a year early to start her professional career and it just has everything it looks like to be a massive star she's on the brink of playing for the US women's national team already having you know never played in in top flight professional football I think that this is just really really exciting yeah, 100%. Um, and I, I, I love stories like these and I love to see players um, come through and just show how 
all of that hard work, you know, it, it does pay off. Um, now, looking at Montpellier, they are in fourth. They've not had a league win since around December 5th. Um, for the likes of Guingamp, Fleury 91, I don't know what 91 is in French, my apologies, um, Paris FC, they are kind of hot on their tails in the league um, and they're currently six points behind Bordeaux. Do you think that there is now a clear definition maybe between the top three and the rest of the league? Or would you say that it is still kind of a top two and the rest of the league with Bordeaux kind of 13 points behind Lyon now? Um I would definitely say it is a top two situation in France. The things Bordeaux and Montpellier have done in the recent years with the investments they've made and some of the results they've pulled out of the bag definitely show, as I said earlier, they're the best of the rest. We have a similar situation in WSL with the kind, a kind of red in Everton situation. It's the same in the French league. Um, they're better than the rest of the league, but in no way are they ever going to pull off a league win anytime soon and I mean as you mentioned 13 points behind the top two it's quite a way to go Um, I do still think there's this dynasty in French football that is Lyon Um, but if that's to fall it could be in the next few years but I think it'll be PSG that do that rather than any of the other French clubs yeah I I agree I mentioned PSG's 5-0 win we discussed this on an earlier podcast but I wanted to get your thoughts as well Lewis you did kind of touch on it before but do you think 100% that this is PSG's year you know to shake things up do you see them slipping Um, can they stay this consistent throughout the season we seem to have a track record of asking if teams can stay consistent and then they fall so maybe Leon fans this is exactly what you need us comment on PSG because they might slip up next weekend who knows but yeah I just thought what do you think um, I think it all comes down to when they play Lyon I think whoever wins that game you know if if Lyon go and win every single game now which would not be a huge surprise and would not be definitely not be on them then they win the title uh, so I think yeah I think it's a few weeks away now in March that they play each other that will be the, the deciding fixture for me and if PSG get through that one unscathed if they win and they stretch the gap at the top of the table then I think it's the title's as good as theirs if they draw then it's just about whether or not or how well they handle the, the pressure of expectation going into the final few games of the season and if Leon win, then I would definitely back Leon to, to go on and win the league. I think that game will be so close. The games between them over the last couple of years have been closer and closer. And we saw they, they took Leon to penalties in the cup final in the summer. They beat Leon finally after a long time waiting for a win earlier this season. That game will decide everything. I agree. There's a lot of big deciding games coming up. Quite exciting. Um, now... Going over to Germany now, there were some massive wins. Bayern Munich had a 7-1 victory over Meppen. And Bayern's two games prior ended in 13-0 in the Cup and 8-0 against Sand. Of course, these games have not been against the biggest teams. You would have expected wins from those three games anyway. But still some amazing results there for the club to be proud of. And this weekend, they have Werder Bremen, who are only one place above Meppen in the league. So watch out, guys, because they are hungry for goals at the moment um i mean looking at their performances this season and considering that bayern um haven't won the league since 2015-16 um drew is this their year i'm gonna go straight out there and say yes yeah so as you just said they've scored 28 goals in their last three league games that is insane numbers that is insane (laughs) volume of goal scoring talent um 
And with Wolfsburg, their biggest players have been leaving over the last few seasons. We've seen Harder leave and other players of that calibre. And I definitely think it's Bayern's turn in the sun. As we've just mentioned in the, in the French league, there's this dynasty of the top two clubs. It's been like that just for Wolfsburg over the last few years in the Germany league. And I think now that time is over. I, I do kind of get what you mean, I guess, looking at the players that have departed, you you might be a little bit worried for them. Um, now, Clara Bull got herself a hat-trick, six goals and four assists in 11 appearances at 20 years of age. She did already go to the World Cup with Germany. Um, Lewis, do you reckon Bayern have got a potential star on their hands here? Yeah, no doubt. She, and I think it's one of those sometimes, you know, players emerge at such a young age and you don't know and the hype sort of gets away from them a little bit. But she's taken everything in her stride. She started playing the Bundesliga when she was 15. She has played regularly since she was 16. She's made declarations about wanting to be a player who plays in the Champions League and things like that. She's already established herself at international level. So after a few years at Freiburg, she joined Bayern in the in the summer. And it's not just her either. They've managed to put together a team. And I think that's why, why Drew's right when he mentions the sort of passing of the torch from, from Wolfsburg to Bayern where Wolfsburg have lost like Caroline Hansen and then they've lost um, Benilla Harden last summer Bayern have been assembling a team of almost Germany's best young talents and Sid, uh, Sidney Lohmann uh, Julia Gwynn who's spent sort of the last year mostly injured but's just returning now and then Klaubu as well obviously up front to, to provide all the goals I think you look at that and you look at the future of German football is sort of there at Bayern and Wolfsburg have lost talent or the talent that has been at the club is getting older and, and reaching the end of their careers. It's very, very hard to see Bayern not going on and, and dominating women's football in Germany for the next few years now. Well, they're dominating left, right and centre, unfortunately, for uh, for Wolfsburg fans, I guess. Um now, another big win, which was more surprising, was Hoffenheim's 6-0 win over Leverkusen. A great win for the team, not so great for Anne-Catherine Vinken for Leverkusen. She had a bit of a nightmare. She had two own goals in, I think, less than 10 minutes. Um, last season, Hoffenheim made the jump from sixth to finishing third. This season, they're still in third. Drew, do you think it's safe for them to be eyeing up competing for that second spot or do you think that Bayern and Wolfsburg I guess kind of like the French league like we were discussing before do you think that they're just kind of ahead of everyone else yeah so I, I hate to say the same words over and over but I think it is that best of the rest situation again yeah so I think Hoffenheim are more competing with Potsdam and Leverkusen I mean Potsdam are, have got one game in hand on them if they win that I think there's only a few points between the two of them so they're still very much competing with those kind of teams obviously that result over Leverkusen was absolutely massive and that that was a mark in the sand but I think Hoffenheim have a long way before they compete with Wolfsburg and Bayern yet um, I mean when we talk about Bayern they've only conceded two goals this whole season and Hoffenheim have conceded 15 so there's there's big differences in in the defending qualities there and I think it'll be a while before we see Hoff, Hoffenheim take that next step up um, but it's quite capable over the next few years if they invest properly and bring, bring the right names in. It can be done. I think it's going to be a really interesting couple of seasons um, in the in the Women's Bundesliga because, like you say, you look at Wolfsburg maybe declining a little bit. If there are the correct investments and the correct signings for other teams, it could end up 
Um, and I think it would be really great to see. It maybe could end up being a little bit more like the Women's Super League that we see now in that you end up having a couple of teams in the mix. Maybe you might still have Bayern Munich at the top, but, um, you know, competing for those other places, it might end up being, you know, about five teams in the mix, which, which would be great to see. Um, now, Nicole Bieler is the league's top goal scorer with 17. She has been absolutely amazing so far. Lewis, how important do you think she is for Hoffenheim's success? And also, how long do you think they'll be able to keep hold of her if she continues with this form obviously she's she's incredibly important like you said 17 goals i think it's about half the goals that that hoffenheim have scored all season i think nobody else has more than sort of two or three so if they weren't to have her goals then you can sort of put the pieces together and and imagine what the their form would look like and it's not a one-off it was last season was similar as well I think she wasn't quite as prolific but she scored about 18-19 goals last season too she's just signed last month she signed a new contract to 2023 so the the Frauen Bundesliga will get three Champions League places next year like the the Women's Super League and she talked about wanting to play in the Champions League for Hoffenheim so I think they'll have her for, for those couple more years at least and they should we're talking about about that sort of to to coin to take Drew's phrase and that that best of the rest in the Bundesliga then Hoffenheim look like they will be that they look like they will probably get that third spot so as long as there's Champions League football and she's got two years to run on her contract then there should at least be a couple more years of, of her banging in the goals for them. Yeah, most definitely. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, what happens with her career. Um, and of course, Wolfsburg played Potsdam and they got themselves a 3-2 victory. Um, and how this game didn't get called off, I will actually never know. The pitch was more of an ice rink. Both teams, you know, really did struggle. The players were slipping all over the place. They didn't even seem like they were safe, if I'm being honest. Um, and this leads me on to what we will be discussing a little bit more in detail this week as the hot topic. But I will say that if there are any games that you guys that are listening want us to maybe look at, other leagues all over the world, we don't mind. Um, and I just wanted to say that we actually have a fan on this podcast, Rafael from Mexico. So we're hitting Mexico. We're going global, guys. Um, so shout out to him. And if there are any big games that are going on that you want us to maybe look at, then let us know. But like I said, the the hot topic this week, um, Wolfsburg's coach after the game said that he'd never had to deal with a game like this. It should have been cancelled. His own players have spoken out and said that it was very dangerous. Three other games got cancelled in the Bundesliga and over in England in the Championship, Liverpool played away at Charlton Athletic and the images of the pitch there. I was a little bit shocked. Um, Drew, what do you make of the fact that the top tier of women's football in Germany, that this is being allowed to happen and that even in the Championship and the Women's Super League to an extent in the UK, you know, there are still issues where playing conditions are not only not good enough, but borderline dangerous. Yeah, it's not good enough at all. Um, the sport deserves more. These athletes deserve more. And the fans deserve more as well. There's constant cancellations um, due to poor facilities or, or poor stadium agreements all across Europe, and especially, as you've highlighted, in the WSL and in Germany. Um, there needs to be more investment and more care for these players. They are top-tier athletes at the top of their game, and they deserve to be treated as such when it comes to things like this. And, I mean, you know what it's like. If you fall on ice like that, your your skin is going to cut open. It is not safe, as you've said. Um, 
and yeah, it, it, it enrages me, I'm not going to lie. We, we've had numerous situations in the WSL and the Championship over in England that, that completely parallel to this. Um, Liverpool and Birmingham have seen massive issues with their home stadiums. Um, I won't go into that too much, but it's usually something along the lines of waterlogged pitch. And these two teams fall behind in the league and it, it, it can screw up a whole team season and lead to things like relegation as well as injuries. So it, it can just put whole clubs on the line and the, the organising bodies need to do more and hold the clubs accountable and hold people who are putting these facilities forward accountable and make sure there's correct investment so that you know people don't get hurt. Yeah, 100%, I agree. Um, now, another issue, which, Lewis, you did touch on um, on last week's podcast, and it was facilities. Now, Peniel Harder has spoken out to Sky Sports um, discussing the matter, and I quote, she said, girls have to fight to find places where they can get good training and get good coaches. It's not really there for them. I think that's the biggest issue for girls to be able to get um, to be able to get to a really good academy and access the best coaches from an early age. And then she did go on to talk about Chelsea and she said, it's very professional. I think that they try to copy how the men are doing it. It's just the difference that we might have three physios, but then they have 15 or we have two good pitches and they have 10. So maybe that's the biggest difference. The setup is really good, but again, it's still not equal. Um, as I said, Lewis, um, we spoke about this um, and how clubs are maybe not giving the men and the women's teams the same setup. What do you think this boils down to? Do you think it's just a case of um, of money and that maybe as women's football continues to grow and continues to bring in more money that it will be dealt with better? Or do you think it's something else? I think it is about money, ultimately. I think clubs think they're not going to get a return on the investment that they make. Um, but I also think that that's completely wrong. And I think that clubs or people within sport look at it as in in terms of, well, we're not going to invest so much in women's football, not only women's football, but women's sport, because we don't get the returns that we get on men's sport. But the quality of the product will only improve the more that people invest. The more that's invested into WSL clubs or, you know, clubs anywhere in women's in women's football and sport across the board. The more that's invested, the more the product will improve and the more people will be drawn into that. The more people want to watch games, the more people will go to games, the more people will engage with those clubs. So it needs clubs to take that responsibility to take that on their own shoulders and to recognize that the change needs to happen from them and not only their role in this is not just to to recognize and adapt to change or development that happens they need to be the ones driving it yeah i i agree and i kind of think like would it be the end of the world for some of these clubs that we know have got so much money across europe you think would it be the end of the world for you to just turn around and be like you know what we're going to give you all the physios. We're going to give you all the pictures. It's like, why not be a bit of a trailblazer in the situation? Um, I think for me, this does come down to equality, which is something that Harder touched on. Um, and in that interview, she said, uh, she talked about equal pay. And she said, the question of equal pay and equal salaries will take a while if it will ever uh, if it will even ever be the same. Men's football is just on another level, I think. So equal pay is something that is being discussed all over the world and not even just in football. Um, but obviously focusing on women's football, there is one club that does have equal pay and they've been able they've been able to do this and this is um, Lewis FC. So 
In November 2018, the club became the first professional or semi-professional football club to pay its women's team the same as the men's team to raise awareness about gender inequality in football. Um, And the campaign also aims to encourage more support for women's and girls' football across the UK and around the world, which is brilliant. Now, Drew, you are a shareholder in this club. Um, So I was just wondering if you can share a little bit more about how this has all come about and how things are going. Yeah, of course. Very proud to be part of the the community project that is Lewis. Um, obviously a championship club in England Um, so playing to a high level playing against some of the biggest teams and the aim was it was set out it was raising and setting the playing budgets for the women's and men's team at an equal level Um, that meant providing equal resources for coaching performance strength and conditioning staff as you've just spoke about would it be so hard at Lewis it's not Um, upgrading equipment and facilities to meet the standards required by higher divisions so investing in the facilities as you spoke about Lewis and making sure they're at a a great level for all Um, and investing in local grassroots as well and and driving participation not only from young boys but from young girls so it's equal all the way down to grassroots children level so the same investment for you know getting boys involved in the game as girls involved in the game and it's worked really well Um, at her football hub we announced Lewis as our team of the year um, for the last calendar year and it's because of this incentive um, they've turned themselves equality FC Um, and it wasn't easy from the start the chairman of the club at the time stood down um, because he said he really didn't think it wouldn't work Um, and he was that passionate about it that he couldn't stay at the club any longer and I think they've proven him wrong it works Lewis are competing Um, earlier this season they were you know they were challenging for the championship title to be a WSL club that's massive I mean this club pays equal pay to men and women and they were almost top tier um, and yeah it's a really exciting project and it's not going away and I think more clubs will end up doing it 100% I mean I, I spoke to you before about it it's something that I remember reading about back in my university days a, a few years ago now um, and the fact that this is still continuing and it's going so strong and it deserves a lot more you know light to be shone upon it because it is such um, a brilliant thing. Um, Lewis can you see something like this happening for other teams? I certainly hope so. Um, as Drew's just like laid out, it's working. So it's doable. There's no reason, there's, yeah, there's no reason for people to to refuse to do it or not to do it. I think there's the I think there's the two ends of the spectrum when it comes to clubs, and you've got clubs like Lewis who are they don't you know they don't have the budget of a Manchester United or a Manchester City or an Arsenal and Chelsea and those those clubs who have enormous men's teams as well. I think. The, the all of those clubs would be bankrupt uh, if they they paid the same fee, uh, fees and, and wages that they pay to their to their men's players to their women's players and if the investment was quite at the same level i think at that end of the spectrum you're just asking for clubs to treat them the same so that means facilities it does mean physios it means coaching it means academy level as well we've seen situation during the pandemic when elite sport was allowed to continue and girls academies were stopped while boys academies carried on um i think you see with you seen with manchester united their rise over the last couple of seasons and you look at leon it, these clubs that have enormous men's teams and, and those budgets they don't need to invest an insane amount of money to 
win or to compete and to drive women's football forward. I also wouldn't like them like to see them do that because I think then that shuts out clubs like Lewis. I think the important thing is that they invest their time and money and effort into grassroots, as Drew mentioned, and that those facilities, those opportunities are the same between men and women and boys and girls. And I think in terms of community clubs and, and local clubs, clubs with that sort of community aspect and the support from the area, Louis is leading the way, I think. And I hope to see more clubs like that do it. I don't want a situation where we demand that the, all the Premier League clubs invest so much more in women's football and then they all can sort of gather the incredibly talented players throughout England and then shut grassroots clubs out of competing at the at the top level or professionally in women in the women's game but they also have their part to play and ultimately this is only going to change like I said before with with more clubs standing up and, and doing the right thing and that is at both ends of the spectrum yeah one 100% I, I agree with what you're saying um Now, in addition to the equal pay, equal rights, all of this type of stuff, there was something else that I just wanted to finish off getting your opinions on and talking about because I do feel that, you know, it's important we have a responsibility to speak out about things like this. Um, One thing that is happening across the board in men's and women's football and worldwide really is unfortunately racism. Now, Axel Tuanzebe, Anthony Marshall, Lauren James, all Manchester United players, they have recently had to deal with racism. The FA is urging the government and social media giants to act on online racist abuse. Um, Last week, we saw the person that racially abused Ian Wright um, on Instagram, I think, you know, walked away from court with no criminal conviction. Um, There's news coming in today that Instagram are going to remove accounts of people who send abusive messages whilst developing new controls to help reduce abuse that people see in their direct messages. I think for me personally, that... I guess we'll get more information on that, but reducing what people can see doesn't reduce what is actually going on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we could all hide our DMs and not see maybe not nice messages. It doesn't mean that it's not happening. Um, And I actually saw an interview um, on Tuesday night with Casey Stoney, and she came out talking about Lauren James, and I think it was brilliant to see, you know, her manager speaking to, um, you know, it was, you know, just local news in the northwest of England, but still, you know, on the television, giving an interview saying how heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching it is for her to see her player, you know, have to deal with that. And she said to, to Lauren James, you know, would you want to just like come off social media to protect yourself? And it's like, she said, you know, why would I do that? I'm going to let people win if I do that. And she kind of said that she was used to it. It's kind of water off a duck's back. Um, You know, I myself am mixed race. I have had my fair share and I am not even in the public eye. Um, And I can relate to that feeling of something being water off a duck's back. Um, But I just wanted to get both of your thoughts as well on what is going on at the moment and that the the fact that the FA have finally spoken up and are actually putting pressure on the government. Yeah, I'd like to go first, Lewis, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Um, so it's great that the FA have you know addressed this and and really gone at these social media uh, you know uh, entities as they, as they are. Um, but I really do think there's work to be done in the FA as well, um, particularly around pathways, um, because when I say installed institutional racism i'm not accusing the fa of being racist what i'm trying to say is that the systems they have in place benefit white people more than people of color 
if you look at the pathways, there's not there's not enough people of colour in these in these FA pathways, especially in women's football. It just doesn't work what they're doing at the minute. They need to have an internal investigation and involve people of colour in the decision making. So if you look at the England women's team that was announced yesterday, it's white. Every single player in that team is white and that's strange. There's a reason for that and I think it's down to these pathways. So I think it's great that the FA is acknowledging you know, the social media aspect of it, but I really do think they need to look at themselves as an entity and say, okay, how do we promote more people of colour into these into these roles so that we get that perspective? And then it's gonna be it's gotta be a culture change, it's gotta be a culture shift. You know, these racists are people that we walk past in the street every day. They're not just in Insta DMs. They're, they are humans that work in supermarkets, in law, in the police, in, in everywhere. And it needs to be eradicated through education and through diversity in roles at the top end of every institution. Specifically, I'm talking about the FA, but throughout the world. And I, I think until that happens and until institutions like the FA acknowledge their own racist systems, not that they are racist, important I make the distinction between that, um, but I think until that changes, the FA calling out Instagram and Twitter is kind of hollow to me. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I don't know what I, what I can or what I should add to that, really. I think Drew's spot on. I think we see everywhere um, all around us. And then we can make it more specific and talk about the FA or we can make it more specific and talk about social media. But it, this is everywhere. And I personally uh, i don't know where we can or should begin to have the conversation but there are conversations that just need to be had the fa it like you say it's good that they've done this but lead by example and lead by example by opening up roles that are specific to diversity but also by making sure that there is an opportunity or opportunities for people of, of different backgrounds or different beliefs to have a say. And the FA, much like if you take the government, for example, you know, pretty much anywhere, the FA is not representative of the people that it represents. The FA is made up pre predominantly of white men and that doesn't represent the country. I think I read in, in the men's game, I think I read this week that there were five, maybe it was the Athletic, there were five players of Asian descent in the in the Premier League and EFL. Uh, so like I think, that, I think they meant British-born players of Asian descent. Imagine how much of the country is of Asian descent one way or another and for there to be pathways for five players in the entire 92 professional men's football teams that have made it all that way it, it just doesn't make any sense that that's what's happened there are there's diversity needed and there's diversity needed and we need to put programs in place at every level and that means at school that means in academies and it means at the very top of the FA as well. Yeah, well, 100%, I agree with with what you've both said. Um, and I think that thing about, you know, the FA maybe beginning to take a look at themselves and their systems and structures and pathways and things. And I think the most important thing for, you know, young boys and young girls that are playing football and, you know, in all walks of life that you, you have somebody that you can kind of relate to and I guess when you know if you're a young girl in football um and you're looking up to you know some of the biggest stars that maybe have played for England and things like that you cannot really 
the, the majority are white, to be honest. You can't really find somebody and think, oh my God, that person is from the same you know, ethnicity as me or the same background as me, etc. You know, if somebody else has done this, this means I can do it as well. And I think the lack of those role models and people that are prominent in women's football and in men's football as well, um, I think they they need things like that. You know, young players need things like that. They need players that, you know, give them hope and give them things to look up to and think, this is doable for me. Um so I guess here's hoping that the FA do look into things and be a little bit more responsible. Um, and I also think that we need to see it a lot more, you know, from these clubs, which is why I definitely, I mean, yeah, I'm a Manchester United fan, but even just as a football fan, an outsider looking in, you know, for Casey Stoney, I think the fact she has stepped up and spoken out about what Lauren James has had to go through you know she's not sent her out to the media to have to to have to discuss it like she said it's water off the duck's back but I think the fact that her manager has stepped up as a white woman and spoken about it and how you know how her players feeling how she feels as a manager um, I think was also very special as well. So that is the end of our podcast. Big thanks to our guests, to all of you for listening. And if you do want to get in touch, the address is podcast at onefootball.com. Don't forget, you can head to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen to all of your podcasts, really, to have a listen to the One Football podcast. <laughs>